everybody. Get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a chef for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We are starting week 11 of home detention without ankle bracelets. and uh, But we love it. We, that hasn't prevented us from bringing you great shows the last couple of weeks. And we've got another one today. Uh, I want to stop and tell everybody, if you haven't, go to at Nikki Nellis on Twitter or Instagram. There's a cocktail recipe there, and you're going to want it because we're starting the Foodie and the Beast cocktail hour again today. Alan Gruzlaskis, who is the GM and cocktail maven, and Jose Andres Chino Chilcano, uh, by the way, a Rammy nominee for cocktail program of, the, program of the year, is on with us. And we're going to make a knockout cocktail, and you can make it along with him. So we'll be with Alan shortly. Uh, on a normal day, DC Greens uh, melds food education, access, and policy to advance food justice in the nation's capital. But in the days of COVID, with so many people unable to access healthy food with diet-related illnesses like diabetes and hypertension uh, that make you more at risk for COVID, uh, DC Greens co-founder and exec director has uh, led a charge to, for, for a multiplicity of vertical activities to help feed the city Feed the Food Challenge with healthy food. We're going to hear all about that from Lauren. Now, do you remember when Matt Damon uh, was in the movie Rainmaker where an insurance company was stiffing policyholders even though they paid their premiums? It's happening right here in COVID world. Restaurants around the city that were forced to close uh, and had insurance against closure can't get their money from the insurance company even though they paid their premiums. Uh, our favorite celebrity baker, Tiff McIsaac of Buttercream Bakery, and attorneys from Venable, that venerated law firm, Mike Davis and Dave Feinberg are gonna be on for a look at how one insurer, that's Erie, is being taken to the woodshed for non-payment. Uh, and lastly, everybody's favorite fresh seafood chef, Jamie Leeds of Hanks, has a cool new offering in concert with Maine's Warshore Oyster Company. Uh, chef Jamie and Brad and Hannah Blimer of Warshore will be on to tell us about current catch. I have to add, and Nikki can tell you about it, we got a we got a current catch box and it was unbelievable. So Nick, why don't you hit it and talk a little? Well, I'm not going to talk about current catch now because we'll be talking with uh, Jamie and Brad and Hannah later in the show. But I do want to talk about what's going around going on around the D.C. area. It is Memorial Day weekend and you can still order from lots of area restaurants who are doing amazing menus. Uh, so you can have your backyard picnic or your front yard picnic or your in-house picnic. Uh, maybe not with everybody, but with yourself or with friends or however, Zoom it. But please order. The restaurants really are relying on this being a big weekend. And we have a huge list of all the Memorial Day offerings. Also, do not forget your grad. Graduations are coming. And even though these poor kids can't walk across the stage, um, you can still celebrate them. And there are some amazing graduation meals and celebration meals uh, to order. Um, also, do not forget um, that there is more and more restaurants who are reopening doing delivery and to go. And there's a reason for that. The reason is, is that soon DC is going to be open, but it's really precarious on how restaurants are going to be open. So most restaurants are realizing they are going to need a takeaway or a delivery option as a way to 
stay afloat. So we have the list. We keep it updated all the time. And there are new restaurants being added every day. So go to the list are you on it.com for all that info. We do have our calendar up and believe it or not, there are events happening all over the city. A lot of them are virtual, like the spring dig, which we're going to be talking about in just a second. Um, but everything is up there. It's an amazing way to stay in touch with people and have a good time even when you're still at home. Uh, and with that, let's do our at-home cocktail. Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Nikki, it's a pleasure to be on. And it's been a pleasure to be nominated for the uh, Ramy Awards for our cocktail program at Chino Chilcano. I know, so it's so weird. We did the Ramy nominations a couple of weeks ago. It was such a crime not to be able to like all be together and be there for the announcements. It's like one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite pre-parties for the big party. Right. Um, you know, but it must be so cool to still get that nomination. So tell us a little bit about the cocktail program uh, when we get to go back to Chino Chocano. Um, so we definitely do a lot of highlights from uh, Peru as we are a Peruvian restaurant, but then we also uh, take into account the Chinese and Japanese influences. So we're mm -hmm. branching out and we're doing some beautiful Japanese spirits, um, highlighting a lot of the whiskeys, um, some sake, and then using some uh, Chinese ingredients like our Chinese five spice um, syrup. Um, and then just, you know, taking into account how we can have them all incorporated together like you would find in the streets of Peru. Which, I mean, I don't think a lot of people are familiar with like the Chifa way of dining. Do you know what I mean? That it, I think most people think of South American cuisine as sort of monolithic, like South American instead of like Peruvian and Brazilian, you know, that it's very different. Um, and especially the Chinese and Japanese influence. Um, so how, like today you're doing a cocktail for us and I have to be honest, Alan, you did not pick an easy cocktail. And I have like a huge bar, a huge bar. Um, and you picked spirits. I don't I don't know that's that. something to brag about, but okay. Well, we... I do. We have a huge bar. It's a <laughs> I don't I mean, drink it's something it. That, it's something that's needed right now. Yeah, we're lit yeah, up all the time. Exactly. You know. All right. I mean, you if you have your problems, that's on you. That's not on me. <laughs> so um, so tell us about the cocktail you're putting together for us today. And everybody. You should be making this at home and drinking this while you're on air on Foodie and the Beat. All right. So um, we'll go through the traditional way. Um, so we've taken Pisco, um, and then we've done a couple different infusions. One is called Ricotta, which is a spicy Peruvian pepper. Um, and then we've also done a cucumber infusion on the Pisco. So um, the, our house Pisco is going to be Calavado. So that is what we choose, and that is pretty easily found around D.C. It has a beautiful red bottle to it. Um, and if you just take any of your uh, spicy peppers that you might have around the house to give it the beautiful ricotta flavor, if you can't find those actual peppers since we're doing this at home. And then a lot of us are using cucumbers for cooking at home right now. Um, we've also made a Chinese spice, spice um, cinnamon, clove, allspice, peppercorns. We just did that into a little bit of a simple syrup, lime juice, and something that a lot of us won't have laying around is sake. Uh, we're using one called Wishing Well. Uh, it's very nutty, uh, hints of stone fruit. Uh, those are our five main ingredients in this cocktail. But, you know, translating the Chinese and Japanese influence with the uh, Pisco, our Peruvian spirit being the uh, centerpieces, what we've really done here. So how much of each do you need to make the drink? You, let's um, hear you make the drink. And uh, why don't we do this? We'll keep you on the line. We'll talk with Lauren. And then you can make the drink while we're talking to Lauren. Is that cool? Absolutely. Right, okay, great. Pour, pour it into my computer. Right, exactly. We'll pretend to toast. 
All right, so Lauren, you've been on before, but I want to make sure everybody understands the really the essential central role that DC Greens plays in our community. So why don't you sort of take it from the top and give us a 411 on the group. Sure, sure. Well, thanks so much for having me on. And I have to say, sake is my, that's my go-to. That's my my top choice if given a, a full bar. So I just wrote down wishing well. I'm going to look for that one. That sounds <laughs> amazing. So Good. thank you for that. See what this show does for you. <laughs> it just broadens my horizon. Right. Incredible. Yes. There um, it is. <laughs> beautiful. So um, DC Greens, as you mentioned, uh, works to advance food justice and health equity uh, here in the nation's capital. And um, in normal times, we play a role of being a real connector between a lot of different sectors that are sort of yearning towards each other to create a healthy and equitable food system, um, but sometimes have a hard time connecting. So for example, our healthcare system and our farmers markets or our gross, you know, our grocery stores, um, you know, making sure that teachers are able to access um, best in class uh, educational materials, making sure that there's policy in place that really supports teachers and supports healthcare workers. Um, so we run a lot of different programs in the city, like a produce prescription program where um, doctors in Ward 8 are able to write prescriptions for patients that um, are experiencing diabetes, prediabetes, or hypertension. And um, those patients are able to, it basically gets called into the pharmacy at Giant Food, which is the only full service grocery store in Ward 8. Um, and the patients are able to go and get $20 of fruits and vegetables every week for free. Um, and there's an in-store nutritionist. I mean, you know, we, we run a lot of different programs that are really incubation for systems change. Are you Ward right? 8 and Ward 7 centric? Um, I would say we are Ward 8 heavy um, and focused, but that, you know, a lot of our programs are both citywide um, and then also, you know, we're trying to shift policy um, using Ward 8 as a kind of a model, um, but the policy shift happens really on the city level. And then truthfully, you know, because we're sort of in this privileged position of being a city state, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I, I don't, not everybody looks at it as a privileged position, but, you know, we, we're able to actually move really progressive policy on the city level that ends up being, uh, you know, a model for national change as well. So sure. particularly with the produce prescription program, I think we're finding, um, you know, there was already, there's already been um, a lot of movement towards food as medicine um, on a national level. And, and, you know, before COVID hit, a lot of folks were sort of looking to our, um, our produce prescription program as a, a real model for looking at the impact of access to healthy food on, um, you know, both patient outcomes, but also, um, you know, patient utilization of the healthcare system. So All right, well, you know, I think, oh, I was going to pivot into. Well, I was going to say you provided the perfect segue because yeah. suddenly the, the, the pandemic hits and the poo hits the fan and everybody's stuck at home or you know, told to be stuck at home. And you guys launch, I, I'm counting like 10 or 15 initiatives to because the people that are most challenged, I mean, many of us are privileged enough to be able to stay at home and, and deal with this. Uh, those folks can't. Uh, That's right. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in, in how all the, the thought process worked, but also um, how the manpower works. 
and yeah. woman power. <laughs> it is actually an all-female team, so it is woman power. All right, well, I just saved <laughs> my life. I just saved myself. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'll say that when this crisis hit, um, about a third of our team really pivoted into a COVID emergency response. And... Um, you know, what we realized is because we're an organization that's really situated between a lot of different sectors, we had um, existing partnerships in place, really like deep trust partnerships, both with healthcare providers, with, um, you know, community leaders, with, um, you know, folks in the school space and in, in school food, um, and, you know, a lot of different spaces. And so we really just started calling around and saying, you know, what do you need? What, what do you have? I mean, we were starting to get calls from, you know, Occasions Cater is a great example. You know, uh, mm -hmm. Occasions called us and said, we want to be able to pivot into doing emergency food provision. You know, I'm trying to keep my staff employed. Um, you know, our, our gala, you know, uh, support is drying up and, you know, how can we partner? And meanwhile, I had just had a conversation with Wendy Glenn, who is constituent services for uh, Trayon White, Council Member Trayon White in, um, in Ward 8. And I had asked her, you know, what, what are you seeing? What are the needs? And this was probably week two or three. Um, and she said, all of the churches are closed and mm -hmm. you know most of our most of our constituents get their meals on Sundays from church um, and most of the social service providers are closed on Sundays we need Sunday meals and that was a perfect you know that's one example of you know we ended up standing up together with occasions and with the far southeast family strengthening collaborative um, you know a standing Sunday meal distribution at a rotating church location um, and we're Lauren. To, yeah mm -hmm. I'm going to interrupt you for a sec. Yeah. We have to take a quick break. Let us take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about sort of how you're aggregating all of this because you put out a newsletter every week that is full of information. And then also we have to hit the spring dig because it's yes. your big fundraiser and we don't want to miss that. Uh, this is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back. You better get ready to click on the spring dig and buy your tickets now. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast. And we're talking to Lauren Beal from DC Greens. Lauren, um, you were telling us about all these initiatives, and we also want to talk about Spring Dig, of course. So hit it. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I think Nikki, what you what you mentioned uh, just before we came off is, you know, the other thing that we've realized, in addition to sort of standing up unique programs to support our healthcare providers and community members, and also really support the restaurants that are trying to pivot in this work. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we have noticed that there's just a, a need for aggregation of, of where resources are. And that's, you know, both where community members can get meals, whether they're seniors or, you know, kids or, you know, whoever they are, but also, we, you know, a list of places that really need help. And so we've been putting out, um, you know, places you can volunteer, places you can, that really need donations. I mean, I think a lot of people in this time have been talking about emergency food and they immediately think of sort of the, uh, the usual suspects, which are all wonderful and do need support, but there's a lot of also littler, um, you know, Casa Ruby or, right. um, you know, the National Children's Center, all of these places that have really stepped up in this crisis to make sure that their communities are fed. And I think they're often, they, they get less attention in these moments. So we're really trying to lift up a lot of organizations and, um, you know, doing the work of being a connector um, in this time. I think uh, that is what we've suddenly sort of realized is, you know, that's the work we always do, but it's, but it's, but it's different. Now. You had yeah. to, you had to change what you were doing 
even though your programs are so important, but you had to change your, your major goal is to take care of this community, Correct. right? So you had to figure out, okay, what do we do now? That's because right. Because everything's and out the window. Exactly. And I think the one thing I'd like for your listeners to think about is, you know, we're mm-hmm. hearing these two different lines. There's a story about food insecurity, and then there's a, right. a story about these sort of increased mortality rates in these communities. These are not different stories. These are right. the same story. I mean, the reason you have diabetes and hypertension and all of these underlying conditions that are increasing mortality rates is because people are suffering from food insecurity. It's 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 a, it's it's really like a a one to one. And so I feel like our mission of you know bringing together food justice and health equity, you know, it's it's more it's more clear to everyone else than it ever has been. You have a- um, well, yeah. The economy of it, the economy of it, you know what I mean? The economics of it, if if you didn't know it before, you see it now. Do you know what That's I mean? Right. And it's all about access. That's um, right. Before uh, we wrap up with you, let's talk about the spring dig because again, this is your big gala. This is your big fundraiser. You bring all the chefs in and it's a fun, beautiful event. And now we're going online. That's right. And, you know, we, we sort of, you know, with heavy hearts sort of decided we weren't going to have this event. There was no way to do it. And we had a team meeting and we said, hey, wait a second, maybe we could do it differently. And so that's what we're doing this year. And we're, you know, just as much raising money to support our mission as we are really trying to drive revenue to restaurants and to some of our incredible community of supporters that are, you know, running businesses and are really struggling. Um, so, this year, um, Spring Dig at Home, it's taking place on June 3rd. Um, you have to buy your ticket by May 27th in order for this to happen for you. Um, mm-hmm. but we're, basically, we're going to be delivering meals from one of five um, incredible restaurants, um, Albi, Bresca, Reverie, Rose's Luxury, or the Dabney, and you can pick. Mm-hmm. We're partnering with Via to do um, ride, del- we're basically going to be delivering the food. Um, and we also are getting, um, we're, we're, if you buy a ticket, you can also get either a bourbon or a vodka from Republic Restoratives. So there's a way to sort of buy in at just a drink level and we'll deliver to you, um, or buy in at the sort of drink and dinner level, which is, uh, so that's $100 for just drinks, $250 for drink and dinner. And we also have people that are buying tables. Um, and so it, you know, there's sort of a, a $5,000 level and a $10,000 level. You can have a, a Zoom party with your friends. All of your people get um, meals delivered and drinks. We're and, yeah, we we're going to have a gift bag, a gift bag from Salt and Sundry, um, uh, so supporting Amanda and, um, you know, also flowers delivered from Corner Store and Water. All right, well, so, our, our, yeah. our puppy must have heard something from you because she's been doing spring dig in the backyard for weeks. <laughs> That's weeks. Really pretty. All right, really Lauren. Pretty. Tell everybody how to find Spring Dig online to buy tickets. Sure. So if you go to dcgreens.org, so that's, you know, dcgreens with an S, dot org, um, mm-hmm. you'll be able to see uh, the spot to buy tickets and also um, have a look at the resources we're putting out and uh, get a sense of who we are in normal times as well. And really, it's such a delight to be on with you. Thanks so much. Thanks, All Lauren. Right. Okay. Um, Alan, did you make your drink? Absolutely, we did. Uh, Just to recap what we've got in the bullet train to Tokyo is we're going to take our Pisco. We're going to infuse a little bit with cucumber. And that'll be about an ounce of that. We're going to do a spicy Peruvian pepper called ricotto as an infusion on a Pisco as well. And that's only about a quarter of an ounce for a little bit of spice in the background. Another ounce of that wishing well sake. Half an ounce of a Chinese five spice. 
a simple syrup and about a half an ounce of lime juice as well. And then shook you that all real hard. Oh yeah, we yeah. shook that real hard, got it nice and okay. ice cold, made it skate, um, put it uh, up over no ice so you can just kind of sip on it a little bit. Um, what we do at work, it's called a Nick and Nora glass, but if you have a martini glass, oh, that works just fine as well. Excellent. Alan, thank you so much. Congrats again on your nomination and uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed for you uh, when the Rammy Awards finally happen. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. And it's a pleasure to be on today with you. Right, Great. Bye, Thanks, Alan. Cheers. All right. So um, as you heard at the top of the show, there's some serious business going on here in town where our, all of our friends who own our favorite restaurants uh, are, you know, they're an extremist when it comes to money and cash flow. And many of them have uh, insurance policies against such, uh, uh, you know, a stoppage uh, as we're experiencing. And some of the insurance companies are quibbling and not paying off. And uh, joining us is Tiffany McIsaac, who is our favorite baker to the stars, celebrity Hi. baker, butter, <laughs> buttercream bakery, and two attorneys from- Buttercream bake shop. Bake shop. And two attorneys from uh, what is one of DC's most venerated law firms, Venable, uh, Mike Davis and Dave Feinberg. Tiffany is one of those um, restaurants and bakeries that are having trouble with their uh, insurance companies. Tiff, why don't you give us kind of a 411 on the problem and then we can talk to Mike and Dave. Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing for most business owners, and you know, I can only speak within the restaurant community because that's what I'm familiar with, but I'm sure it's, I would have to imagine it's happening in other um, areas as well, is a lot of us purchase a thing called business interruption insurance during emergencies when the business can't function normally. And so, you know, it's actually funny because my husband owns a restaurant as well. And when this all happened, one of the first things I said was, thank God we have business interruption insurance, um, which, you know, is now kind of laughable in a, in a not really actually funny way, um, because no one has really been able to collect on any of the um, business interruption insurance that they've paid for already. So, you know, that's kind of where we're at. You know, for me personally, my business is down, you know, we're doing about 15 to 20% of the business that we would normally do at this time of year or less. Um, well, I think, it, Tiffany, if I can interrupt, I think yeah. we should explain why you're doing so little business. I mean, we all know there's a, a pandemic, but what was the structure for you know, that the government allowed for the restaurant for you. Right. Well, I mean, I guess for me, well, first of all, we can't have dine-in customers, which that's not as big of an impact for me because people can grab their products and go. The biggest thing for me was that um, with the no large gatherings, all of the birthdays and the weddings and all of the big events that we'd already sold cakes for or that we had cakes coming up for were all canceled or postponed, um, which honestly was really devastating to our business. We've been lucky enough to... Um, just kind of limp along and be able to make rent each month um, by selling a small handful of cakes that my business partner and I make. But you know, our kitchen isn't really a large enough capacity to safely have a lot of people in it. We really, you know, value the safety of our employees and our customers. And you know, really ourselves, one of the things that is the hardest is even though we're happy that we're here for the community, I would love to be safe at home and not just at having to work and put myself in harm's way potentially just to keep my business afloat. So, you know, it's been, I feel grateful that the community is supporting the restaurant industry in such a strong, strong way. It's one of the things I love about the DMV so much. But, you know, for us, it's, this is exactly why we have business interruption insurance. And it's just frustrating that here we are in need of it and we're unable to collect. So that's why we well, called in Dave and, and Mike, and we're so grateful to have them working with us. Well, 
so how did you did you start the ball rolling on this did somebody else call you like how did the ball get rolling and 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 did you hook up with dave and mike so dave and mike are actually uh their business is in the same building as this gentleman sashin who owns um modern uh karma modern indian and mm -hmm. so he knew them already um has said just such wildly wonderful things about them which have all turned out to be true um Another group that's in this is Gravitas, and uh, I'm really close friends with them. They linked up with Sasha, and I linked up with them, and the three of us have kind of then reached out to a whole bunch of other restaurants and got them involved. Um, so, you know, it's it's just about bringing the community together to try and help each other and kind of share the costs of the soup so that we can all participate in it. Well, know, let's, let's turn to Dave and Mike. Um, <clears throat> guys, tell us about the language in these policies and why you feel you have a case and i think you do and why erie is, is you know is has got its feet planted firmly in the ground saying no well david and nikki thanks so much for having us on foodie and the beast uh, i'll quickly summarize why we think tiffany has got and her colleagues have a great claim under these erie policies the, the number one thing is is when you know insurance is uh all about what's written in black and white in the policy and here, these policies are, are special types of policies called all risk policies, meaning they cover all risks, unless it's spelled out in black and white that they won't cover it. So that the customer who's being you know, sold the policy can look through the policy for themselves and look at the words and see what is covered and what isn't covered. And when you look at Tiffany's policies, and when you look at all of her colleagues' policies, there's not one thing in there that says that Erie will not pay if there's a pandemic or a virus. And if Erie wanted the business deal uh, to be no business interruption insurance in case of a pandemic or a virus, they could have said so. There's actual uh, uh, forms that are out there in the insurance industry that can be placed inside a policy and let people like Tiffany and her colleagues know that there won't be any coverage or any type of pandemic or virus. Well, let me, let me, jump, just, let me just jump, jump in with a question. So to be clear, do other insurance companies have pandemics, um, you know, uh, exceptions for pandemics in their, in their business interruption policies? Or do they have That's to exactly pay more right. for pandemic coverage? Like, do you, can you pay more for pandemic coverage? So I'll answer the first question and, and Mike can answer the second, but okay. um, Yes, there are other insurers out there who put these exclusions for virus or bacteria or pandemics right in their policies to let the, the buyer know, buyer beware, you are not going to be covered in the event of some type of interruption in your business caused by a bacteria or a virus. And that's right. just not present in Tiffany's and all of her colleagues' policies. We have to take a quick break, but we're gonna come back and really dig into and this. So just give us a sec. Yeah. yeah, this is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. What does your insurance policy say? We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and we're talking to our friend Tiff McIsaac uh, and uh, attorneys, Mike Davis and Dave Feinberg from Venable about Tiffany's. Uh, Tiffany has joined a lawsuit against uh, Erie Insurance Company uh, because her business has been interrupted by the COVID pandemic. She has a policy to protect her against that and the insurance company's not paying. So uh, Mike and Dave, I'll turn it back over to you to keep going because this is really interesting because it sounds to me like they got to pay. 
that's our position. We think it's a pretty clear cut case and, you know, shame on them for not doing the right thing. Well, so what is their point of view? I mean, since I, 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 I when we were talking about all this, Tiffany and I and, and um, Dave before um, we booked you guys, one of the things I sort of said was, I mean, do insurance companies have enough money? Like if, if all their clients are restaurants and all their clients are like, hey, we need some help. Like, do they have that money? Like, is it, is it there? Or are they like, no, like it's so hard to know what's, what's real and what's not. Yeah, in general, the insurance industry is pretty well capitalized. I mean, you can look at, you know, major disasters that have happened in the past, you know, from hurricanes to terrorist attacks, you know, to superstorms, all sorts of things. And state regulators ensure that they're adequately capitalized for their risks. And we haven't heard any credible uh, um, arguments from many insurance carriers, particularly not Erie, the one that we've sued, that they don't have more than adequate funds to pay these claims. They're not saying they don't have the money. They're saying they don't have to pay, and we think that's wrong. Got it. So then what, how do, how, like, what are you looking to get for the restaurants? Like, is there a payment structure? Do you have recommendations? Like, how does, what does that look like to you guys? We're not asking for a particular amount of money at this point. We're just asking for a declaration from the court that the restaurants are covered. What happens is the restaurants send in their claims. The uh, Erie said they're not covered, essentially because there's no structural damage. And that's what we're arguing about. If the court rules in our favor, then each restaurant would prove up its claim. It would prove up its damages. You know, it'll be different restaurant to restaurant. Let me ask, how many restaurants does, uh, does Erie insure? Because obviously their fear is they're going to start paying out and, you know, they're going to pay out millions or billions. Yeah, we don't, I don't think we know how many restaurants they insure. It's not really your problem. <laughs> well, no, but it is because that's, that's, you know, from their, from Erie's side, they're looking at it going, if we pay one of these people, we're going to have to pay everybody. And that's going to, you know, dig a hole. I mean, I mentioned at the top of the show, you guys weren't there, the movie Rainmaker, where Matt Damon is fighting basically the same thing on, on behalf. It's a life insurance policy. And, um, you know, the insurance companies, basically, they've got your money until they turn it over to you and they can dig their feet in and, um, and resist until it goes to uh, how high can this, it, can this go in what court system? It can't go to the Supreme Court because it's not a constitutional issue, but they can drag this out for years, can't they? No, no, our strat. Yeah, Mike was going to say they can try, but but not not in this case because what we've alerted the court to is that this is an emergency. As you mentioned, these restaurants are in extremis. You know, they're facing huge financial hardships, like you know many other industries, but but restaurants certainly. And we're we've. Put, wrapped up the entire case with a bow for the judge to decide on an expedited fashion, on an emergency basis. The briefing will all be done and all before the court in approximately two weeks. It, the judge has already said that she is going to decide the case as soon as possible. And okay. if we win, which we very well, uh, which we you know very much hope that we will, and we think that we have a very strong case, the most that Erie can do is appeal it to, you know, what might be called the Supreme Court of Washington, D.C., the Court of Appeals. Right. But if we win, you know, the, the Erie is going to 
you know, not be able to, to run for very long, that there's only one other court that they can uh, appeal to. And certainly our position is, is if while they're on appeal, they can't not do anything. They've got to start adjusting the claims and deciding how much money people like Tiffany are entitled to. Well, so let's say you win, hopefully. And then how, at, at that point, Tiffany, do you use these two lawyers to sort of help you ask for, like what money do you think they should be paying you? Do you have an amount in mind or is there a formula? Like how does that part work? There is a formula. It, it concerns, you know, the amount of sales you did last year during the same time period, what you were able to do this year. So I think, you know, honestly, I haven't even looked at what the number looks like yet because it makes me too sad to think about it <laughs> if I if I don't if we don't win. Although I feel really, really confident. I really just feel like it's the right thing to do. I think deep down Erie knows it's the right thing to do, but they're running scared. And you know, the sad thing is, is that if they had just paid out business interrupted insurance. My whole staff would be at home safe. All of them would still be on payroll. Nobody would be on unemployment. It, it would have drastically changed what happened to our economy. And, you know, maybe there would have had to have been an insurance bailout, and that'll probably come down the pipelines at some point. But, you know, everything would have been different as far as what we had to do and what we were able to do for our staff and for, you know, the community. So... I'm just really hopeful that this that this all goes through. But yeah, as far as the dollar amount, I don't think anybody's really looked at what that exact number looks like. Mm -hmm. um, but it's significant. And one of the things that we really believe is that even when things reopen, there's going to be a drastic difference in the amount of business that you're able to do, not just right now, but probably through the rest of the year at least. And you know, that's the kind of thing that the business interruption should continue to cover when the government can't keep just doing, you know, grants and loans. Right, because they're talking about another wave again. Tiff, is there yeah. somewhere that people can go or Dave and Mike go online to sort of follow the action on this lawsuit? You know, Tim Carmen from the Washington Post has his eye on this case. He just wrote a, an article that came out last Tuesday. Um, I think he'll be following the developments as they come out. Um, and, and, you know, Mike and I, um, you know, publish a, a number of articles on um, insurance related topics that are uh, important for uh, restaurants, hotels, all types of businesses. And so they can go to venable.com, V-E-N-A-B-L-E.com and see, um, you know, important information about uh, insurance claims and, and especially, you know, insurance claims in light of the COVID crisis. Well, and I just want to say to both Dave and Mike, I mean, if, and hopefully you do win. There are cases like this all around the country. So can it be used to bolster those cases if you go first? That's that's one of our hopes. And you know, we're we're trying to put together groups of other restaurants in other cities. But mm -hmm. again, it's important to look at what your policy says, right? The the policies here are pretty good. Not everyone has a policy that's this good, unfortunately. Mm, okay. Well, well, listen, we really appreciate you guys coming on today and talking with us. Tiffany, I know you're in the middle of baking, so I really appreciate it. Um, and, you know, we're, we'll be following the case really close because we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed that uh, the restaurant industry gets the, um, the help that it needs. So thank you so, so much. And I just want to say my dad was right. I should have gone to law school. Yeah, well. <laughs> we should have gone to CIA. That's where we should have gone. <laughs> All right. All right. We'd be mixing cocktails at, at 1130 like you guys. <laughs>
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the grass is always greener, boys. Okay. Thanks, Thanks so much for having us on. All right. So our next guest or guests um, you're going to love. Uh, Jamie Leeds is everybody's fresh seafood chef. She's got Hanks all over the city. Hanks, Hanks, and more Hanks. Uh, and she's got a cool new offering in concert with folks from Maine's Warshore Oyster Company. So now we're going to be talking to Chef Jamie Leeds and Brad and Hannah Blymeyer of Warshore. And that's the last time during the show you'll hear me try to say Blymeyer. So welcome, okay, everybody. Hi, guys. I want to thank you for joining us this morning. Um, so we uh, were recipients of Current Catch, which is the new business that you all have put together, a way to get fresh seafood, chef-crafted sauces uh, into the public's hands. And it's such a brilliant idea. But before we, like, hit on Current Catch, I just want to get sort of, like, where Warshore and Hank's Oyster Bar, like, where you guys are and what's going on for you given this pandemic. So Jamie, I know you just celebrated 15 years of the original Hank's Oyster Bar. Yeah. Tell us just like what's happened for you. So when coronavirus hit March uh, 15th, we closed down all four oyster bars that were operating um, and had to lay off almost 300 employees. It was heartbreaking. But I wanted, to get, um, I wanted to get a jump on them to be able to collect unemployment because I knew there was going to be a, a you know, a, a surge in that. And then I also closed and let them go because I wanted to be able to satisfy my last payroll because I wanted to make sure everybody would get paid. So that happened, um, you know, got into uh, a really bad funk and, you know, very just disheartening the whole situation but then I was able to pull myself out and um, been able to do this um, partnership with Brad and Hannah Brad and I have a long relationship with he's my main oyster guy and we have a close vendor relationship and so we were able to you know kind of hash things out and come up with this idea which has been amazing when you say that Brad is your main oyster guy, is it because he's your main oyster guy without an E or with an E? No, he's got she. She's got a guy That's in Maine guy. who's her main guy. guy. Well, there he is. Double entendre. What can I say? <laughs> yeah. You're so French. Okay, so you know what? We're going to take a quick break now, and then we'll talk with Brad and Hannah and talk about their oyster company and how they've sort of to overuse the word pivot pivoted in this current pandemic. So this is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. You should be eating lots of seafood and it can come to your door. We'll be back in just a sec. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis talking to Brad and Hannah Blymeyer and Jamie Leeds. Before the break, we were kind of talking about where the COVID crisis has left you, Jamie. Brad and Hannah, what about you guys and your business? Uh, yeah, so I mean, obviously we were affected pretty uh pretty harshly with, with everything, you know, we support the restaurant. So as the restaurant shut down, you know, obviously directly affected us. Um, yeah. I mean, 99% of our, our wholesale business is directly to restaurants. Well, uh, Brad, we sell can, you, can you tell us a little bit about your business for people who maybe aren't familiar with it? Yeah. So Warshaw Oyster Company started as an, as an oyster farm back uh, in 2010. A buddy of mine grew up together. His dad was a duck hunter, had some property in Lower Eastern Shore, Virginia. Um, so we started an oyster farm and this was, as I was telling Nikki earlier at the, you know, at the, at the beginning of the whole aquaculture you know, phenomenon in the Chesapeake Bay. So we were kind of lucky to, to be out in front of that 
And we started an oyster farm and, and Hank's was our very first customer. We, we grew an oyster and thought we could sell it on the weekends. We approached um, Hank's in Old Town, uh, Chef Nick at the time and Claude, who's a manager there, and asked if they'd buy our oyster and talk with Jamie. And they said yes. And that's how we started. Um, and Morshore Oyster Company was born. Um, as we grew and as I got in front of chefs, you know, they naturally asked what other products we could bring them. And we realized, you know, we want to have more revenue streams than just oysters. So we kind of evolved into a really high-end shellfish distribution company. So fast forward 10 years later, again, Jamie's celebrating 15 years in business. We're celebrating 10 years in 2020. Um, and it's because of customers like Jamie. So she was our very first customer. And we just built a nice relationship uh, across all of her hanks. And, um, you know, it's something really special to us because not only was Hanks our biggest customer, they were our very first customer. So, and you guys did a partnership once, right? Didn't you guys, you created a Hanks Oyster, right? Yeah. 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 We have a, see, you know, I was talking to Brad and we also, we wanted to do something that would give back to the community. So, um, we talked about having a proprietary oyster. Um, so Brad brought me this little gem of an oyster and we tasted it. We all tasted it, Claude and, and Brad, and, and um, it had a very uh, briny, a big brininess to it. And so mm -hmm. we decided to name it uh, the Salty Wolf, because um, Wolf was my father, Hank's middle name. So um, we, we coined it Salty Wolf, and it's a proprietary oyster that we sell at Hank's only. And it's an, it's an amazing oyster. We love it. So then when you guys came together and said, okay, we can help each other and you create a current catch, what was the vision? Uh, well, it, it, was, it was kind of serendipitous because it was funny. I, you know, Hannah and I were thinking about it. Uh, Hannah was instrumental uh, in, in kind of coming up with the concept with, with me. And I knew that we needed to sell directly to the consumer. I also knew that we're, you know, we're wholesale, so we don't have a touch to the consumer. You know, we deal with chefs. So I knew if this had to get any kind of traction, we need, you know, uh, a chef behind it. And of course, Jamie was the first person that came to our mind. And I reached out to her. I think she may have reached out and she was actually reaching out to us to talk to us about something we could do. So I think we both had it on our minds. And so it was a perfect phone conversation. And I kind of told her what we had in mind, said, hey, what if we took, what if we could get the, the highest restaurant quality seafood that we provide you to the consumer with your touch to it so that they can, you know, really experience Hank's in, in their kitchen. Uh, so we quickly came up with the concept of we'll do the seafood. Uh, Jamie comes up with her amazing sauces. We'll put it together uh, and then we'll use our own distribution cycle, our own trucks that we have at our facility. So instead of delivering to restaurants now, we'll deliver straight to, uh, straight to, straight to the customers. And that's kind of how it started. And then, really in a whirlwind of about a month, we just all battened down the hatches and put together this company and website and, and launched it. Literally in a week, actually, in a week. So over like a couple of conversations, we named it within a couple of days. And then in a week we had the website up and running and the thing was launched. When you think about how long it takes to like do a website, like when you're doing a business, like websites can take forever. Like you guys turned it around on a dime. How did you come up with the packages that are available? And let's talk through them a little bit so people get an idea of what they're going to get. We just basically wanted to take, you know, fish that was approachable and seafood that was approachable to the home chef uh, and present that. Now, obviously, you know, we're a shellfish company by heart. So, you know, we obviously wanted to make sure that we had, you know, mussels, clams, oysters in there. But we understand that fish is a big component too. And that's where we really kind of leaned on Jamie 
um, and mm -hmm. she kind of just curated the sauces that would match with the fish. And we thought, okay, um, let's, you know, let's fit, let's pick, you know, a couple of really good fish that we could, you know, offer daily um, and actually switch the fish up as, you know, new fish come in season. What really set this off, Nikki, too, was our fishmonger kind of, we use again the word pivot, you know, everybody would had to kind of make a move to the retail uh, model of this. So they actually purchased a machine that would do individual uh, fillets, tray pack. And that's what really set us up and made this whole thing approachable is the fact that we could have this fish cut uh, a day before it we you know it comes to us, you know, packaged up, and then we could turn it around and put it in these seafood boxes. And again, marrying that up with what Jamie has for her sauces. And that's kind of like the essence of it. So the consumer will get really four great seafood options with accompanied sauces. And then we have a bunch of add-ons that you can throw into your box uh, and really just customize it to make it fit your needs. And, and well, Brad, I think, oh, sorry, Hannah, go ahead. And every vendor really, they downsize. I mean, instead of doing 10 pounds of mussels, 10 pounds of clams, they wanted to be able to get product out there. So they shrunk it down to two pounds or one pound of scallops. It really worked out well with all of, all of our vendors. Well, but that must have been a hard switch for your, a lot of your vendors. I mean, you know, the disruption in uh, in the food space is that, you know, like you're wholesale, you're used to sending big quantities and all of a sudden now you're going to send it to retail. So that means little quantities. What was the, how were you able to do that? Were well, what does that like do to your shipping costs? I mean, that's really the question. Shipping. That's, a great, that's a great point. Yeah. So everything was kind of turned sideways in terms because, you know, we, we did a lot of oysters and a lot of seafood over last year. So we don't think in terms of minimums, hitting minimums for trucking lines and our, our vendors. And all of a sudden, when all that business is taken away and you go from, you know, bringing in thousands and thousands of bag of oysters to under, you know, you know single digits at, at some point, you know, now all these incurred costs start to come to the surface and you're realizing, hey, you know, these oysters at a transport station were getting charged $30 minimum. Well, we're not making $30 on these oysters. So that's what really kind of, and Hannah's great at that because she kind of runs the finances for the company and she picked up that very quickly and realized, hey, you know, we've got to start moving some product here um, or it's not going to make sense. So, uh, so yeah, it, it, it did really affect everything. And in just terms of people harvesting, I mean, we, we deal with farmers that harvest fresh, you know, and instead of harvesting oysters five days a week, they're doing it one day a week now. You know, uh, well, but it's so important to keep these farmers in business. I mean, just as we talk about our fruit and veggie farmers and our our cattlemen, you know, and pork farm, like there's all these farms out there. And I think uh, seafood sort of people don't think about the fishermen and right. their business structure. It's, it's not talked about in the same way. Yeah, it's not. I mean, up, up, we're, we're in a new position where, you know, I travel down every week to to run the company, um, but we live in Maine. So obviously we're surrounded by tons of aquaculture here. And, you know, we read the papers up here. And so we get to see firsthand how it affects the aquaculture industry up here in the fishery, you know, and then we hear about stuff in the Chesapeake Bay. So we're really getting it from from both angles, both the Chesapeake Bay and up in, the, in New England. So, so absolutely. Yeah. So these farmers are really scrambling to kind of get you know, change their model too. So they're trying to do retail packaging. They're, they're trying themselves really to deliver their own stuff to restaurants, uh, you know, any way they can do it. So this was a really neat opportunity for us to stay engaged with our uh, with our core farmers and um, vendors and right, scale it down the packaging, but still try mm -hmm. to move a lot. And then we put Amy, we put uh, Jamie's name behind it and her bandwidth, 
Uh, and that's really what kind of launched us. I mean, it was, it was really, we needed each other for this project to- Well, let me just ask them. Jamie a quick question. So Jamie, you weren't already packaging sauces. That wasn't part of your business model. So how did you figure that part out? Well, I was just, uh, you know, we have some very popular sauces that people have actually in the past asked to purchase and we've never really had any, pack. we have not had any packaging um, done mm -hmm. before, but I've always had it in the back of my mind that I would eventually one day like to bottle our sauces. So, um, but, you know, we did, you know, this all happened very quickly and we had to move quickly to get it launched. So basically I said, let's just use the, you know, the contain the plastic con court containers. It's a very simple, we already use them in the kitchen anyway. So I had a supply, right. Them, right. So for storage. Um, so we used the, the, the court containers and the eight ounce and the 16 ounce containers. And then we, we got labels very quickly. I mean, I was up, you know, all night writing, you know, the ingredients of the, of the um, sauces, Hannah ordered the labels from, we were, we were trying to think of the label company where we could get labels <laughs> overnight, you know, and um, just made it happen. And then we, I, we just stick the labels on. I have, you know, I have a couple of guys that also wanted to start working too. So that kind of went in conjunction with that. Uh, Jamie, we we Jamie, I'm going to have to bust. I've got to bust in. We've got to um, uh, wrap it up, wrap it up. Okay. I want people to understand how easy it is to get current catch and how great it is. Cause we had it, it was delicious. And the sauces are killer. So tell everybody where to go online to get. So go, go to um, currentcatch.com, current, C-U-R-R-E-N-T dash catch, C-A-T-C-H.com and order it up and we'll deliver great. it to your door. And it was knockout. Good. Thank you guys so much. And if you go to um, at N-Y-C-C-I, N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, you will see photos of our meal from uh, Current Catch um, and a link directly to the website so that you can uh, buy it yourself. So we want to thank everybody for joining us today. We hope you had a chance to make the cocktail that Alan did from Tina Chicano, a Rami nominee. Definitely look at Lauren's uh, Spring Dig. It's an amazing event. You should check it out. We will keep you updated on the lawsuit against Erie Insurance and how they should be paying back the restaurants and get your fresh seafood from Current Catch. There are so many people doing so many amazing things during these crazy, crazy times. Wear a mask, social distance, be safe. Have a great week.